Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. Organisers hype the annual NCAA Division I Women's and Men's Basketball Tournaments as March Madness. They do so to exploit the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat inherent in watching low-seeded teams, aka Cinderella's, upset top-seeded ones, often with buzzer-beating Hail Marys. Unfortunately, these tournaments rarely live up to the hype, respectively. Sure enough, the celebrated Final Four, who made the women's big dance this year, included one seed Stanford and one seed South Carolina on one side of the bracket, and one seed Yukon and three seed Arizona on the other. In other words, not a Cinderella in sight. For the record, as the New York Times reported, the championship game was a thrilling defensive struggle that came down to the last five seconds, which saw Stanford hold on to defeat Arizona 54-53 to claim its third national title. But I hope you know me well enough by now to know that the game's not the thing that will make listening to this episode worth your time. Nor should you expect me to give the men's tournament anything more than short shrift for what I hope are obvious reasons. Except I'd be remiss not to acknowledge that the men at least provided a little bracketology drama because the celebrated Final Four who made their big dance included one seed Baylor and two seed Houston on one side of the bracket, but one seed Gonzaga and eleven seed UCLA on the other. Still, though, none of them could be fairly hailed as a Cinderella team. But this obliges me to share what I wrote about office pools several years ago in NCAA March Madness, and then there is the woman of Yukon, on March 30, 2017. And I quote, I decided years ago to forego the cheap thrill of filling out brackets and feigning agony as my picks got knocked off like ducks at a carnival shooting gallery. Granted, if I were still an indentured servant at a big law firm, I would have welcomed the respite from drudgery which bracketology for office pools provides. The aim is clearly not to guess the outcome of each game, it's to see whose bracket sustains the least number of casualties throughout the tournament. End quote. As it happens, though, the title to that March 2017 commentary reflects my decades-long efforts to draw more media attention to the women's game. Here is a sample of my forlorn pleadings in this regard from 
Yukon routes Louisville to win NCAA Women's Championship on April 8, 2009. And I quote, Instead of commanding network coverage in prime time, like the men's championship game, the women's was relegated to cable last night, which guaranteed only a fraction of the viewership. TV executives wonder why they can't get better ratings for the fledgling women's professional league, the WNBA. Well, it might have something to do with the way they keep dissing women's college basketball in this fashion. Moreover, what does this unequal coverage say to female college athletes, as well as to young girls, who we encourage to have the same interest in sports as young boys? Frankly, it says that chauvinism, sexism, and discrimination against women in sports not only still exist, but are blithely tolerated. End quote. Case in point was the way ESPN ran the first hour of First Take, its flagship talk show, on Monday morning. Now bear in mind that this women's championship game aired on ESPN on Sunday night, whereas the men's final four game between Gonzaga and UCLA aired on rival broadcast network CBS on Saturday night. Yet the show began with resident talking heads Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman ranting for 20 minutes about that men's game, and then spending the next 17 minutes raving about the future of NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers. But then moderator Molly Rose halted their ranting and raving, and for the next 10 minutes they had a serious discussion on the epidemic of violence raging against Asian Americans across the country. Incidentally, they based that discussion on a tweet some obscure football player posted. But anyone who read my commentary, violence against Asians hurts and affects us all, from February 27, 2021, will get why I welcomed and appreciated this segment. But I wish the performatively provocative Stephen A. had acknowledged that black nincompoops are the ones perpetrating far too many of these crimes and then condemned them in his inimitable style for doing so. Anyway, that discussion took them to the point where the camera switched to Molly for her preview of the second hour of their show. <laughs> Suffice it to know that she previewed all manner of topics, but none even hinted at the Women's National Basketball Championship game that played out just the night before. Frankly, I was more pissed than surprised. In any case, I tuned out, because Unlike Republicans, I don't react to insults to my pride by saying, Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> Not to mention that I had real work to do, 
because even with this remote thing becoming the norm, I find I'm still having to put in a few hours of honest work every day. <laughs> About truth be told, I expected no better of Stephen A. and Max. I am profoundly dismayed, however, that Molly moderated through what I later gathered was a full second hour of this sexist oversight. Even so, I blame the NCAA more than any of them, or even ESPN. After all, by selling the rights to air, this year's Women's Final Four and Championship Games only on ESPN, the NCAA made watching them a luxury most Americans couldn't afford. By contrast, it made sure watching the men's Final Four and Championship Games would be as basic as tuning in to your local CBS station. I mean, why not sell the rights to both women's and men's tournaments as a bundle to one broadcast network, CBS or ABC, so that they get similar TV coverage? You know, like, oh, tennis does with its Grand Slam tournaments. Of course, the NCAA justifies this disparate treatment with circular arguments about the women's game not being as popular and not generating as much revenue as the men's. Except that the USA women's soccer team has been demonstrating for years that whenever playing on equal terms with their male counterparts, they are not only as profitable, but even more popular. Indeed, this is why I was as bemused as I was enthused that it took Sedona Prince having a Rosa Parks light moment for the NCAA to finally acknowledge the untenable inequities it imposes on female athletes. Like Parks, Prince was just sick and tired of the mistreatment, which on this occasion was so egregious it begged to be called out. She obliged, and the way she did went viral. I duly commented in NCAA mistreating women is a mainstay, not a mistake, on March 23, 2021. But chances are you've seen her video that brought the NCAA to shame, albeit only temporarily. It shows Prince first giving a tour of the training facility the NCAA provided for the women players. It was equipped with just some yoga mats and one stumpy dumbbell tree with 12 weights that were more suitable for a pencil-thin olive oil than for any serious athlete. Then it shows her giving a tour of the facility the NCAA provided for the men. It was so fully equipped, you got the impression Prince had been teleported to an Equinox fitness center. But nothing betrayed how intentional this mistreatment was, 
quite like the NCAA transforming that one dumbbell tree into a spacious, fully equipped training facility overnight, which raises the question. If viral pressure could force the NCAA to do the right thing in that case, why not pressure it to A. Treat women athletes equally in every case. B. Pay college athletes, as I've been calling for in commentaries like Student athletes make billions for colleges, but most graduate poor and dumb. On January 16, 2014 and C. Enforce minimum educational proficiency for student athletes so that none graduate too dumb to read the writing on degrees not worth the paper they're written on. I refer you to my podcast episode 17 End Indentured Servitude Pay College Athletes on January 16, 2021 for more on this looming categorical imperative. But beware, because the case pending before the Supreme Court betrays its intent to affirm only gradual incremental steps instead of the one giant leap necessary to redress these persistent inequities. Uh, That said, What the hell's going on with Yukon? This is the fourth consecutive year these once perennial champions have failed to even make it to the final dance. They've won 11 titles and have made it to the final four for 13 consecutive years. So trust me, folks, this is like the Chicago Bulls at the height of their Michael and the Jordanaires reign, failing to make it to the NBA Finals for four consecutive years. Or, for the hoops challenged, it's like Tiger Woods, before his infamous fall from grace in November of 2009, going for four consecutive years without winning a major championship. That would have been unthinkable, right? One wonders how UConn coach Gino Ariama is explaining this spectacular losing streak, not just to his naturally crestfallen players, but to the entire sports world. I mean, UConn lost to Arizona this year, a team that was making its very first appearance in the Final Four in tournament history. And forget comparisons with Bulls coach Phil Jackson, because sports writers were beginning to hail Ariama as the second coming of legendary UCLA coach, John Wooden. Apropos of this, I had just cause to eulogize Wooden in a commentary titled, John Wooden, Pioneering Basketball Coach, is Dead, on January 22, 2010. And then to hail Ariama later that same year, in one titled, Yukon continues longest winning streak in sports history on December 22, 2010. Besides the uncanny coincidence, note here how I began my tribute to Wooden. And I quote, Does anyone care that the Yukon women's team 
is about to complete a second consecutive perfect season by winning another national title tonight. Now just imagine the hoopla if North Carolina or any men's team had completed a season in such convincing fashion. End quote. In other words, I presaged over a decade ago the double standard that defined the media's frenzied coverage of Gonzaga's quest for a perfect season this year. Ironically, that coverage reached its Icarian peak during the men's final four game on Saturday night between Gonzaga and UCLA. Because when a Gonzaga freshman banked a Hail Mary from half court at the buzzer to win in overtime, it seems every sports commentator in America became convinced that Gonzaga had been ordained by God to complete its undefeated season with a national title. But then came Monday and the final dance. <laughs> well, suffice it to know that watching ESPN the morning after that men's championship game between Gonzaga and Baylor was like watching CNN after a mass shooting. This because Stephen A., Max, and practically every other sports commentator had staked their reputations on seeing this celebrated Gonzaga men's team do what the unsung Yukon women's team has done repeatedly, namely, crown their undefeated season with a national title. Instead, Baylor routed Gonzaga, 86-70. I didn't bother to watch, but I gather that score belied what a sporting massacre it was to do so. Congratulations to Stanford and Baylor for winning it all. For the record, though, I didn't care who won the women's tournament, and I cared even less who won the men's. But I'm willing to bet that the women's games were far more exciting to watch for the few of us who tuned in. And, lest you think this is just my libido getting the better of my brain, here is how no less an authority than Dave Kindred laid the unassailable premise for my contention in a 60 Minutes interview on March 28. And I quote, The women athletes, you know, I love seeing them play. And why should they be ignored? The men's game is vertical. The women's game is horizontal. They have to master the fundamentals. So it's much more fun to watch them play. And plus, they don't pout. They don't bitch. End quote. <laughs> and no pun intended, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you have no clue who Dave Kindred is, I hope it suffices to know that he is to sports writing what Jim Nance, of a tradition unlike any other, is to sports announcing. 
but I suspect his point about the women's game being horizontal, the men's vertical, is just Kindred's professional way of saying the women's game is more strategic and suspenseful. The analogy to chess and checkers comes to mind. Only in this case, I'd say the women's game is to chess as the men's is to dominoes. I hasten to clarify, however, that men play the horizontal way too. In fact, Steph Curry and James Harden are two of the best and shortest players in the NBA. But chances are you've never seen either one dunk more than once during a basketball game. That's because, like the women's, their game is more horizontal than vertical. The hashtag Boycott Beijing Olympics is trending right now. Therefore, I feel obliged to at least share a passing comment. As you are probably aware, Western governments have declared China's treatment of Uyghurs a genocide. Accordingly, President Biden has led them in leveling targeted sanctions, which of course is a far cry from an Olympics boycott. But, perhaps fearing the trend, influential U.S. Senator Mitt Romney is proposing a diplomatic boycott to spare the athletes. Except that Biden must know that sanctions are woefully insufficient to honor pledges that never again will Western leaders stand by while any state perpetrates the genocide. Not to mention that even more than Putin's Russia, Xi's China has just cause to believe it can act with impunity. Western companies like Google, Philips, Nestle and Siemens have all seen to that. More to the point though, Romney is right. A boycott will only punish the athletes. The 1980 Olympics in Moscow and the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles proved that, respectively. Besides, how can Western leaders call on athletes to boycott without prevailing upon corporations to boycott too? And we all know hell will freeze over before they prevail upon corporations to do that. This is why I submit that the only way Western countries can regain the moral high ground in their dealings with China is to prevail upon the IOC to relocate the 2022 Olympics from Beijing. Besides, it's better to call China's bluff today and let the political and economic chips fall where they may than to wait until doing so would be truly tantamount to cutting off your nose to spite your face, or even worse. As for the Uyghurs, I fear we can only hope the Chinese treat them better than the Hutus treated Tutsis, Janjui treated Darfurians, and Buddhists treated Rohingyas. But so much for turning to sports to get away from politics, eh? 
That's it, and if you liked it, please subscribe. It's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.